Good morning, church. Please turn to Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1. Proverbs chapter 9. Wisdom hath builded her house. She hath hewn out her seven pillars. She hath killed her beasts. She hath mingled her wine. She hath also furnished her table. She hath sent forth her maidens. She crieth upon the highest places of the city. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine which I have mingled. Forsake the foolish, and live, and go in the way of understanding. He that reproveth the scorner getteth to himself shame, and he that rebuketh the wicked man getteth himself a blot. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For by me thy days shall be multiplied, and the years of thy life shall be increased. If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself, but if thou scornest, thou alone shalt bear it. A foolish woman is clamorous, she is simple and knoweth nothing, for she sitteth at the door of her house, on a seat in the high places of the city, to call passengers who go right on their ways. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither, and as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant, but he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of hell. Thank you for your beautiful singing. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Proverbs chapter 9. I just want to share a couple of uh, quick announcements. We're going to collect funds for a group gift for Mary Chris and Josh. They're getting married the last Saturday of July. And we're going to have a fellowship next Sunday after the service to uh, honor them and rejoice with them. So if you could help with that, um, please see my wife. We have a specific gift we want to give, give them. So I don't want to say what it is because she's right there, you know. You don't know what it is, do you? Okay, okay. It's going to be a good gift, though. But we need the money for it, so please help. But I'll pay for it all. If I have to, because we're going to get that. And then continue to please keep Joe Falco's mom in prayer. I know shingles is awful. Debbie had shingles, and it it was very bad, very, very bad. And uh, so it it helped me have compassion for anyone who has to go through shingles. And now she has COVID as well. So Joe was with her last night at the emergency room. She had a a high fever, but thankfully the fever did go down. And um, i just continue to to pray for her though. Okay, Proverbs chapter 9. And this is a part 2 message. Going to Wisdom's house of seven pillars. And as we begin, why don't we just look at uh, verse number 1. And then verse number 5 of Proverbs chapter 9. Verse 1. Wisdom hath builded her house. 
she hath hewn out her seven pillars. Verse 5, can you read it with me? Come, eat of my bread, drink of the wine which I have mingled. Let's pray. So now, Lord God, please use this time to increase our wisdom as you say that when the wise hear the instructions of your word, they will be yet wiser. That if a just man is taught your word, he will increase in learning. So for those of us who are saved, help us to grow in wisdom and to grow in understanding of who you are, of who we are in this world, and how to best navigate our journey. Lord, for those who have not yet come to Christ, we pray that even today, they would make that decision to come to you, ultimate wisdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus taught a number of parables, did he not, on invitations to great suppers. Haven't you been invited to supper somewhere and you enjoyed that? Well, Jesus gave various parables of these kinds of invitations. A favorite of mine is the parable of what is called the Great Supper, where many were invited. Jesus sent out, you know, God in in the parable sends out his servants and, and he tells them, well, everything's ready. Just go invite as many as you can. And what, what did the people do when they got the invitation? They made all kinds of flimsy excuses. Somebody said, I bought a piece of ground and, and I have to go look at the land. That, that sounds like an excuse we hear all the time. Or I just got a new apartment and I have to buy furniture for it. Or, or I bought some new ox. I got a new job and I, I have to go to training. I can't come. And somebody else says, I just got married. Look at that. The new, newly marrieds are here. And you didn't use that as an excuse. Good job. All right. Good job, Ian and Claire. So good to see you today. And so then, he can't, there's a lot of still room. There's room for more people to come. And he said, go out into the highways. Go out into the hedges. Go out into the byways. Invite. I want the house to be full. But people make excuses. So we need to go to wisdom's house of seven pillars. Isn't it not amazing that people will more quickly go to a house of danger and a house of death than they often will to the house of God, to the house of wisdom. And I was reminded of this this morning by our our dear South African family, Zuki. And we were even sharing that in South Africa a number of weeks ago, a, a number of teenagers, 22 teenagers, went into this tavern in South Africa. And it's still a mystery what happened, but they ended up dead. The youngest was 13 years old, going to a tavern that you were supposed to be 18 to enter. But somehow, they got that invitation, they were celebrating the end of school, and they went to a tavern and ended up dead. And that's the comparison that we see even in Proverbs chapter 9. Either going to the house of wisdom, or going to the house of death. And so we're looking at going to God's house of wisdom. And we, we said last week how this chapter contains two identical verses. Have you ever noticed that about this chapter before? I hadn't actually studied this out very much, but there are two identical verses in this chapter of invitations. One to the house of wisdom, the house of seven pillars, and then one to this house that's a death trap. And the verses are in verse number 4, 
where Lady Wisdom invites, whoso is simple, let him come in hither. As for him that wanted understanding, she saith to him, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine which I have mingled. And I thought, wow, isn't that a great verse for, for the Lord's Supper? <laughs> eat of my bread. Jesus has come to me and eat of my bread, drink of my wine. So that's one verse. The identical one is down in verse 16 where the foolish woman, Mrs. Foolish, is saying, Whoso is simple, let him come in hither. And as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Whoa, what a difference. One is a lavish feast for free. The other is stolen Waters. You don't even know where it came from or what it's going to do to you when you eat it. It's stolen. It could kill you. So this chapter contains these two identical invitations. And both, both invitations are addressed to what kind of person? To the simple. The simple is the undecided. The uncommitted. The unsure. Are you unsure? Uncommitted? Well, you're going to get invitations to come to the Lord as well as go to the house of foolishness, the worldly ways of life. And the, the way that goes to the world is a broad road that leads to destruction. Many are going therein. Once this invitation is accepted, however, when the simple accept the invitation and go to the house of wisdom, what do they become? They become wise. When the simple receive the invitation and go to the house of foolishness, what do they become? A fool. So you see, you don't stay simple in life. You might say, I love my simplicity. I love my lack of indecisiveness. I'm not sure. I haven't really made a decision either way. Well, you can stay there for a while, but ultimately, you must decide. You must decide. And that's the point of these introductory chapters of Proverbs. There's no third way. We must say yes to wisdom's invitation to her house of seven pillars to grow wiser throughout life. And we shared the first two last week, but just to quickly review them, we said wisdom's house is perfectly structured. Wisdom house is called a house, and I love this, a house of seven pillars. Seven is that number of perfection, that number of order, that number of completion. And we said that seven pillars, it couldn't represent different things, but at least I believe it, spe- it speaks of wisdom being uh, this house of seven pillars being a, a perfect house of perfection, safety, seven pillars, strength, beauty, order. God's path is a house of seven pillars of safety. And we need to a- accept this invitation. Come. Eat of my bread. Isn't that amazing? Wisdom cries on behalf of God. Because wisdom is an attribute of God. Wisdom is being personified here. But who is our wisdom? Jesus Christ. I love it in the last book of the Bible in Revelation. Where it says, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive glory and honor and power and Wisdom. All wisdom. And in Colossians it says, in Jesus Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom. 
And Jesus says, wisdom is saying, come to me. And in, in wisdom, inviting us to, to this se- house of seven pillars, I believe, is inviting us to God, inviting us to Jesus Christ. And then wisdom says, come, eat of my bread. And that's what Jesus said to His disciples when He prepared the Last Supper. Come, eat of my bread. Drink of my wine. And of course, bread stands for His body broken for us. And the wine represents His blood shed on the cross for us. Go quickly to John chapter 6, in fact. This amazing teaching of Jesus about eating His body and drinking His blood. And He said in John chapter 6, And to see what it means, in John chapter 6, verse 35, we won't read the whole Scripture because it goes down quite a ways, but I want to read just a couple verses in here. If you turn with me to John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said unto them, and you know this verse in verse 35. Can you say it with me? What does it say? It says, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So eat of my bread is coming to Jesus and drinking of His blood is believing in His the power of His blood to cleanse us from sin. And as you go down in the passage of Scripture, in verse 48, who does Jesus declare He is in verse 48? Who does He say He is? He says what? I am the bread of life. And He says, He's the living bread in verse 51. And look at verse 53 and then verse 54. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you. That means, Amen, Amen. This is truth. Double powerful truth here. Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man. Now, he's not talking about literally eating his flesh. Nobody literally ate his flesh. He is talking about coming to him in faith and believing that his body was broken and beaten and bruised for us. Except you will come and then drink of His blood. Not literally His blood. No one ever drank His literal blood. But that's speaking of believing His blood was shed to cleanse us from our sin. You, if you don't do that, you have no life in you. Look at verse 54. Can you read that one with me? Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. I will raise him up at the last That's the invitation. Come to Jesus. Come to the house of God. Eat of the bread that represents His body broken and the the juice that represents His bloodshed. I thought that was so amazing and beautiful. The second thing we said last week about accepting the invitation to the house of seven pillars is that wisdom's house has the reproofs of instruction. And the reproofs of instruction are the way of life. And we looked at the different reproofs of instruction. Remember that? And I like, I even told you, I particularly like this slide. It says a lot about how God has corrective forces in life from birth to death for us to learn reproofs of instruction. Because all of us at certain times, I know I do, we're not beyond loving correction and loving reproof. It's one of the best reasons to get married, by the way, is you get that loving correction on a regular basis to help you grow. Amen? Raul is shaking his head yes, even. Look at that. But God has has the Holy Spirit in us to convict us 
Our parents when we're young, our church and teachers, circumstances can reprove us. Of course, the Word of God, our employer, government itself, our friends. Loving, strong, corrective forces. Reproofs of instruction to help us in the way of life. And the benefits of that is you will avoid what? You will avoid error, poverty, shame, and the evil of this world. And you will receive what? Wisdom, understanding, and the Holy Spirit. So we looked at that last week. Wisdom's house is perfectly structured and wisdom's house has the reproofs of instruction. But thirdly now, let's look at this next one. Wisdom's house results in victory. A victorious lifestyle. If you receive the invitation, you want to go in the way of wisdom. You know what? Your life will be a lot better. You'll live a victorious life. How many of you want to live a defeated, depressed life and lose in everything you do? Okay, then, then be a fool. But if you want a victorious life, I'm not saying that everything's going to be perfect. I'm not preaching a health and wealth prosperity gospel. But if you go in the way of wisdom, you will have life. And that's the promise of wisdom. You will have abundant life and you will have eternal life. Wisdom's house results in a victorious lifestyle. In verses 9 and 10, Give instruction to a wise man and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the holy is understanding. For, for by me thy days shall be multiplied. Look at that. And the years of thy life shall be increased. You'll have a full life. Wisdom's house results in a victorious lifestyle of a beautiful life. Now, there's two things we need to at least focus on here. The first thing is, we need to live in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom, right? The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. This verse... 10 in Proverbs chapter 9 is the high point. It is the zenith of this chapter. Do you know why? Because it's the only verse that has the name of Jehovah, Lord, in it, in this chapter. Now remember, the early chapters of Proverbs, of Proverbs and this chapter being the last chapter of what we call the gateway chapters of Proverbs. The first nine chapters of Proverbs are in long units of thought. So this chapter is a unit of thought. The chapter division of Proverbs 9 is proper. This is the unit of thought that is in the original Hebrew language. And the zenith of this chapter is right in the middle in verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. Now, what is the fear of the Lord? Say it with me. This is a definition. I believe it's a good definition. Not the only, but a good. It says, the life rearranging joyful wonder. Before the greatness of who God is and what He has done, which leads us to bow before Him in loving obedience. The fear of the Lord is not, oh, 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 oh no, Oh God, oh no, I can't look at you. Oh no, God, stay away from me. No, that's not the fear of the Lord. 
The fear of the Lord is joyful wonder that causes you to bow and say, thank you, Lord. Oh, I love you, God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. I trust you, God. I believe in you, God. I want to know you better, God. The fear of the Lord draws us to God. It doesn't lead us to cringe away from God. The fear of the Lord is a joyful wonder so that we are willing then to rearrange our life so that we can serve Him to the best of our ability. Life rearranging. Joyful wonder. The fear of the Lord. And I remember when I first was saved. I, I, I became a Christian, as you know, at many of you, at Clemson University. I was a, I was a freshman college student I went there to get as far away from my parents as possible so I could do drugs, listen to uh, have my music as loud as I wanted to have it, and smoke, smoke weed, and, and get drunk, and go to class whether I wanted to go to class. I was not good. I, I was a sinner. Big time sinner. So there I was at Clemson. I was on my own. I could do my own thing. You know what? I was miserable. A guy started witnessing to me first semester. And I was thinking about it. Second semester started. I even remember going back, coming back home, because I grew up here in New Jersey. And, and they told me at Clemson that New Jersey's the armpit of America. That's what they said. I, I never heard that, but they said, you're from New Jersey, the armpit of America. I was like, okay, whatever you say, whatever. <laughs> I just ate my grits and shut up, you know? So... <laughs> But I remember coming back home and talking to some of my friends and standing outside a bar one night. This was during Christmas. This was between semesters. And, and telling one of my friends, I said, Tim, I'm thinking about becoming a Christian. He said, you're what, Rex? See, I'm thinking about becoming a Christian. He said, well, you, I don't know. I think you're losing your mind. But anyway, I went back the next semester and I was living in all kinds of fear. I was, over, I was ruled by fear. One of the fears I had is I was going to get caught with marijuana in my room. And so I would bury it outside. There was, a, there was like a hill, and then on top of that hill was a, a cemetery. And I buried it alongside that slope because I was afraid I was going to get caught. So I remember one night I went out there, and I had said I was an atheist. I said, there's no God. I went out there to get my marijuana, and then I, I walked to the top, and there was this cemetery. And I wasn't scared or spooked by the cemetery. Actually, it seemed very peaceful to me. And I talked to God. I'm like, what are you talking to God for? You don't believe He exists. But this individual had been witnessing to me. And I started, and, I, and, and right there I said, Matt, don't fool yourself. There's a God. Stop lying. Stop lying to yourself. And so that was a big hurdle for me. And then, and then he invited me to church. And I went to church in April, right toward the end of my first semester there. And that day I sat right here in about the fifth row back. I'll never forget it. I mean, it was like at that moment I just believed in Jesus. And I, I did experience a feeling. Now, salvation is not a feeling. And you don't have to have the feeling I had to be saved. But I did experience a I felt the Holy Spirit coming into me. And from that day till now, I've been changed. 
And I believed in Jesus after hearing that message of, of His love for me because what the preacher said was, some of you say that... And he, he wasn't even the pastor of the church. He was some visiting pastor or deacon. I think he may have been a deacon in the church. I don't even know who he was. Isn't that something? How God uses us all. We don't even know it. Sometimes. But he was going back and forth like this. It was this little Baptist church down outside of Clemson. He says, some of you say nobody loves you. Nobody cares about you. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus loves you. Like that. I was like, whoa. You know? <laughs> and and he, told, he preached the gospel. And I believed in Christ. This was right at the end of the first semester. I was going to be going back home to... Uh, to this region. I grew up right outside of New York City. But I remember the next Sunday I went to church and the guy who led me to the Lord bought me a beautiful Bible and I still have that Bible. And that's why I still like to buy Bibles for new converts. We still try to do that for people who trust in the Lord, who become saved here. Get them a a Bible, you know. But then they said, oh, we're going to have a fellowship at uh, Scott and Sally's house, they led the, the, the college ministry. We're going to have a fellowship at their house after the service today. Would you like to come? Now, that's why I'm telling the story. The invitation to a wise place, a godly place where the fear of the Lord was held on to. And I said, yes, I will go. And I went, and you know what game we played? We play pit. It's this silly game with a bell in the middle of the table and people are... Yeah, and then you, you trade for barley and wheat and oat or whatever. And you're yelling it and you want to get ten cards that are all wheat or whatever, you know. And we played that. We played that. And it's fun. We have fun playing that. For, I said, and I was having the best time that I've ever had in my life. And I went to the house of foolishness so many times. Drinking. Smoking, never having fun. We were laughing, we were enjoying, and I wasn't getting drunk. I was like, wow, this is amazing. And a few days later, I just quit drinking beer, and and then the other things went pretty shortly after that. But God just worked. So, this is why we're here today. To be in the house of wisdom. To live in the fear of the Lord. And God just rearranged my life with joyful wonder because of the greatness of God. And He's done that for you. Now here, what is the fear of the Lord? Look at this verse where it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning. In other words, it's the beginning of what? Wisdom. That is, if you're going to have wisdom, what's the starting place for wisdom? The fear of the Lord. Can you have wisdom without the fear of the Lord? No. The starting place of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That's why it's so important we understand what the fear of the Lord is. The the source of wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. So what is the fear of the Lord? Really, the fear of the Lord. It's the source, the starting place as I have up on the screen. But... I want to skip through that for a sec. The fear of the Lord emphasizes what? A relationship of understanding. Because notice what the verse says in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge, 
of the holy is understanding. Now, the knowledge there, it's not just talking about head knowledge. You know something about God. It's talking about an intimate relationship with the Lord. And so the fear of the Lord is really Old Testament language for you're saved. It's the beginning of salvation in Old Testament language. It's that you've come to believe in the Lord. And now you want to have a relationship of knowing Him. And you want to grow in understanding of who God is. The fear of the Lord emphasizes a relationship of understanding. The fear of the Lord is to believe in the Lord, to submit to Him, to love Him, to, to want to know Him better and follow Him. And the fear of the Lord is the, the foundational point of these early nine chapters. The fear of the Lord. It's a theme. So here, this is, this is pretty good too, I think. It's basically the, the book of Proverbs structured into three main points. And we're in part one, Proverbs chapter, you see part one? Proverbs chapter one through Proverbs chapter nine. So we're finishing in chapter, so we're, we're here. Now look at, and then here are all the verses of the fear of the Lord. I believe these are all the verses about the fear of the Lord in the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs. But as you look at this structure, Notice how the fear of the Lord is at the beginning and the end of each main division. For example, Proverbs begins chapter 1, verse 7. And that verse is, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then we get to the last chapter of part 1, and we see another emphasis on the fear of the Lord. And we could say that for each part. When part 2 begins, in chapter 10, shortly after that, in chapter 10, verse 27, is a verse about the fear of the Lord. The last chapter of the second part is chapter 22. The fear of the Lord appears at the beginning and end of each section. Does that make sense? And then the third main part, beginning in chapter 22, early in that section, in chapter 23, we see the fear of the Lord. And, the ver- and the, how does the book of Proverbs end? With the woman... The wise woman, the virtuous woman, says, but she who fears the Lord shall be praised. So the fear of the Lord begins the book of Proverbs. It ends the book of Proverbs. It begins each major section. It ends each major section. And then the verses here in the middle, these verses just show how the fear of the Lord is intermingled throughout the book. The fear of the Lord. Why? Because it's the beginning of wisdom. This is God's handbook of wisdom. If we're going to have wisdom, we have to have a relationship with the Lord. That Jesus Christ is King of kings. He's the one who died on the cross and rose again. And we want to reverence Him. We want to be in wonder and in awe. You know, they were in awe of Jesus when He walked on on the water. They were in awe of what Jesus... Whoa! What manner of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey Him. That's the fear of the Lord. The disciples had the fear of the Lord toward Jesus. So these are two of the main verses that we're looking at in this section. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Can you say it with me? Let's say it together. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then chapter 9, can you say it with me? It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. 
So the fear of the Lord. And then I just want to say this. That when you fear the Lord, why is this so important? Because fear is a basic component of our emotional being. You're going to fear something in life. That's a, that's a given. What do you want to fear? So fear is actually a healthy emotion when it's directed in a proper way. Like, if you're young and you're, there's a pool in your backyard, your parents say, you cannot go near this water if the child is young, cannot swim. You cannot go near this water unless mommy and daddy are around. It is very dangerous. I want you to be afraid of that water and stay as far away from it as possible. See, that's a healthy fear. And that will keep the child alive to obey their parents and, and have a respect for that water and not to go near it because obviously it will kill them and maybe they would drown in it. But when the fear of the Lord is conquered with selfishness and sin and our own pride, fear is tormenting. And the Bible does talk about torment, a tormenting kind of fear. First John chapter 4, it says, Perfect love casts out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Obviously, that verse is not talking about the wholesome, healthy fear of God that we're talking about. It's talking about an unhealthy fear. It's talking about a life that's controlled by fears that are unhealthy. So what kind of fear do you want to control you and direct you? It will either be a healthy, holy fear of God or it will be an unholy and tormenting fear of this world. And beloved, I talk from experience of one who's all my life, I've struggled with different fears. I, I just confess it. When I got saved, I told, told you earlier, when I became saved, well, one of the main problems that I, couldn't, I could not overcome was, was personal fear. Fear about who I was in this world. Fear about my manhood. Fear about... Okay, so I, I want to tell you this. Sometimes when I get afraid, and even to this day, my hands will shake. Or if I get in a pressure situation. It just, it just happens. But when I was at Clemson, I remember I, was, I had to take an exam. And I studied so hard for this history exam. And it was going to be all basically uh, discussion questions, and I had to write out the answers. It wasn't just filling in a little circle and, or putting A for a multiple choice. It was, it was discussion questions. And I, I love history, and I studied really hard. I was ready for the exam. But when I got to the test, I couldn't stop my hand from shaking. Now, that's quite embarrassing. And so I raised my hand. I said to the teacher, I said... Um, I'm having trouble controlling myself right now. He said, here, let's go into, just go into this other room. Just calm down. Take it easy. Everything's all right. And just write out the answers as you're... And that was very kind of him to do that. You know, and, and that's just one example that I could share. But fear is a normal part of life. That's the, it was the first emotion of unsaved man. Adam and Eve, they ran from God. They were afraid of, of, of God. And so I needed the Lord and I still need the Lord to overcome fears. And we all need to overcome the fears of this world 
that can overwhelm us with the Lord. And it's the fear of the Lord that, that can overcome and overwhelm all the fears of this life. The second thing I'll say quickly here is that wisdom's house results in victory. Victory as we live in the fear of the Lord and victory as we experience enduring success. And this is really down in verse 11 where he says, For by me thy days shall be multiplied. Now here's how we're living out wisdom. As we're living out wisdom, we're experiencing success. And, now, and we've given you these definitions before, but it's good to review. Wisdom. This is what we've said wisdom is. Wisdom is what? The skillful application of our relationship knowledge of God to the moral realities of life and the complex realities of life so that we please God in our life. Wisdom. So, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, and then we, we live out that wisdom. Now again, a young man asked me, and here's a better answer to his question. A young man asked me after a message that I preached a few weeks ago, he said, well, how do I get wisdom? And I answered that, and the Bible answers that. If any man lack wisdom, let him what? Ask. But if you really want to, the wisdom that we're talking about too, it begins with fearing God. It begins with salvation. We must be saved. We must be born again. We must come to Jesus. And we must fear God. The skillful application of knowledge. Now here's the amazing thing though as you read the book of Proverbs. Okay, so you've read Proverbs and it promises a lot sometimes. For example, even in this verse, it says, For by me thy days shall be multiplied and the years of thy life shall be increased. Now, do you resist that in your spirit? Do you say, wait a minute. I know a godly person who didn't live a long life. I know, I know a godly man who died of cancer. I know, I know a young boy who, who loved the Lord and he got, he got brain cancer and died when he was 12. Those kinds of things happen. So how do we deal with this? For by me thy days shall be multiplied and the years of thy life shall be increased. Some people say, is Proverbs promising too much? No, it's not. God is not promising too much. Proverbs always speaks of wisdom in the context of life. In other words, if you have wisdom, you will have life abundant, and you will have what kind of life? A long life. But it's not just talking about this earthly life. That's the thing we have to remember. Because this life is not all there is. This world is not worth our love. God is worth all our love. This world is just passing away. We're here for a short time. So the promises of Proverbs always result in abundant life and a long life. A life in fellowship with God. A life in a relationship with God. And that's how wisdom is always framed in the book of Proverbs. So let, let me just look at a few verses. Go back to Proverbs chapter 3, please. Just for a few moments. Go to Proverbs chapter 3. I'm going to rifle through some verses here. Verse 2. What does it say there? For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Again, I would say that the long life there is not just talking about earthly life. He's talking about eternal life. That's real long. Right? Okay, look at chapter... 3, verse 16. 
Length of days is in her right hand. That's wisdom. And in her left hand are riches and honor. She's a tree of life. Remember, a tree of life gives what kind of life? Eternal life. When you eat of that tree, an eternal quality of life. And so the length of days is not just earthly life. It's eternal life. Look into uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse number 10. Proverbs chapter 4. Hear, O my son, receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. There it is again. We can look up a lot of verses. Verse 13 says of chapter 4. It says, take fast hold of instruction. <coughs> Excuse me. Let her, not, let her not go. Keep her. She is thy life. Life, life. So wisdom is always in relationship of life, a long life, abundant life. Wisdom leads to an abundant life now, an eternal life forever. So in Proverbs, the text dealing with life always result in life, not in death. Wisdom does not lead to death. But always life. Isn't that beautiful? So what do you want? We want life. And one last verse on this. Do I have it? I have it right here. Proverbs 12, 28. Beautiful verse. Can you say it with me? It says, In the way of righteousness is life, and in the pathway thereof there is no death. So the fourth thing, oh, and, and Daniel 12, 3, The day that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. So wisdom gives that eternal life. So... You know how I really read the Old Testament text here? I I see that the fear of the Lord is like being saved. And then once you're saved, you grow in the Lord and you seek to walk in the Spirit. And that's wisdom. Really, wisdom is... It comes... Biblical wisdom, a godly wisdom we're talking about, you have to be saved. And then we need the Holy Spirit in us to to live a wise life, a Spirit-filled life. The, The fourth thing is is wisdom's house will protect you from danger. Wisdom's house, going to the house of wisdom, will protect you from danger. So what danger does wisdom protect protect us from? The danger, first of all, of foolishness. So look at the foolishness of this last section. is really now a foolish woman inviting the simple to come to her house of foolishness and death. And it says, a foolish woman is clamorous, she is simple, and knoweth nothing. That is, she doesn't know how things really work. She lacks any will to, or resolve to change her moral direction. She's oblivious to how things truly are in God's moral universe. She knoweth nothing. And then look, look down in the passage in verse 18 when she's inviting him to this house, she's inviting the simpleton, and it says in verse 18 what? He knoweth not that the dead are there. So he's ignorant about really what he's going to find when he gets there. The dead are there, but he knoweth not that the dead are there. I remember when I first became saved and I started witnessing and I, I love to witness. And you know what witnessing did? It got me to read the Bible. Because when I would talk to people about Jesus, they would say, well, what about this? Or what, what does that mean? I was like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But I'll find out. <laughs> 
And so witnessing led me to really search the Scripture and learn the Bible better. Anyway, I always ask this question to people. Back in my earlier days, I remember I asked this question, do you know what the wages of sin is? I would ask my friends. I would ask people I met on the street. Do you know what the wages of sin is? Now, you know what the wages of sin, you know it like the back of your hand. It's what? Death. People out on the street do not know that. They're ignorant. They don't know that the dead are there. They're ignorant. That, 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 That the direction they're going, look what it says. He knoweth not that the dead are there. There's an ignorance in this world. The fool doesn't know how this world actually works. There's an ignorance. You know, when you're a child, again, your mother always tells you now, don't put your hand in in the fire, right? Stay away from the fire. Now, did you ever get burned? You've been burned? Now, what if you got burned and you say, oh, I could do it again, it won't hurt me next time. No, you're a fool. Because... Fire is going to burn you. Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? And he makes an application there of, of adultery. If you live in adult, it's going to burn you. That's just the way things are. People commit adultery. Guess why they commit adultery? They don't think they're going to get burned. Fool! If you put your hand in the fire, you're going to get burned. The second thing is pride. The danger of not only ignorance, but pride. Now, notice how this woman is described. Okay, look, what's the word that begins with C in verse 13? What, what is she called there? Clamorous. clamorous. You know what that word, when you think of clamorous, what do you think of? Clamorous. What's clamorous? Yeah, she's, she's boisterous. She's pompous. A word that I came across was turbulent. That's a good word. She's calamitous. She's turbulent. She's a turbulent moral ignoramus. Because she doesn't know anything. She's loud. She's pompous. She's pretentious. And notice her pride now. Here's where her pride really is. What does it say she is? She sitteth at the door of her house on a... You see that word? On a what? On a... And I'm going to give you this word because this word, seat, every, almost every time it's used in the Old Testament, you can look this Hebrew word up. And you, you check me out on this. It's used 136 times and all but seven times. You know what that word seat is translated? Throne. She's sitting on a throne. She thinks she's a queen. And she says, come into my house. And she's, she's proud, she's pompous, she's sitting on her throne. In other words, the biggest fools often have the most pride to think they're going the right way. The biggest fools are often in the most important seats of influence in a culture. Is that true to this day? Listen to me carefully. The biggest fools who think they know, but they don't know. They're just pompous and proud. I'm not going to give you any names. Don't worry. But you figure it out. They're sitting in powerful places. They're sitting in the seat of the governor and the mayor. And I'm not just talking about our president. I'm not. They're sitting in high offices, the House of Representatives and Senators. 
They're, they're making decisions. That's the, way, that's the way this world is. So we have to make a decision to follow the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of this proud world. And then we can't be deceived. So going to the house of wisdom will protect you from ignorance, from pride, and deception. The deception here is she says stolen waters are sweet. Now is that true? Are stolen waters sweet? You didn't answer me. Okay. I'll answer it. Okay. Let me ask you. Let me ask you again. Are stolen waters sweet? No. No. Not in the long run. That's probably not in the long run. Now, are they sweet for a minute? Yeah. Actually, that's why people do it. You get, you get excited with that? You get excited with that sin? That's why people do it. Stolen waters are sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. That's the deception. But the deception is just what it says in the book of Hebrews. Choose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So, are stolen waters sweet? For a season. Are they pleasant? Only for a season. And that's why people do it. You know, why do people commit sin? It gives you an adrenaline rush. It's exciting. It's fun when you first do it. Right? That's why people do it. But after, after you get stuck in it, and now you're addicted to it, and you want to stop it, mm, you, then it burns you, and it cuts you, and it embitters you. So sins, and let me tell you this, beloved, if you're thinking about going in the way of sin, that sin will entice you with all kinds of deceitful, deceptive promises, won't it? If you just do this, oh, you, this is what you need to be happy and fulfilled. That's a lie. Stolen waters are sweet. No, they're not. Not in the long run. They will burn you. They will cut you. They will destroy you. So sins are sweet and pleasant for a while, but in the long run, they will destroy, they will embitter you. The pleasures of sin only for a season. And the last thing is, wisdom's house will protect you from the dangers of ignorance, pride, deception, and then finally death. Because it says, He knoweth not that the dead are there. Now remember back... In, one of the, in Proverbs chapter 7, where the, the mis, mis foolishness is inviting the simple man to come, she says, come, let us take our fill of love to the morning. The good man, he's, he went on a long journey. He's not home. You can get away with this. You can get away with this sin. Don't worry. Everything's going to be cool. Chill, man. Don't be afraid. You can get away with this sin. And then she says, I have, I have decked my bed with, with carved works, with fine linen of Egypt. Oh, with, with lin beautiful linens. And he could feel the soft silk linens and he could see those. Oh, wow, it's, it's really beautiful. You know, sinners really deck everything up nice. And then she says, I perfume my... Oh, and it smells great. I perfume my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. She says, oh, it smells good. It looks awesome. But what's really there? Death. The stench of death. And she covers it all up with all that other stuff. <laughs> so, 
How does Proverbs speak of the foolish? I said when Proverbs speaks of the wise, he always speaks about the wise as having life, right? The wise always... How does he speak of the fool? As always in the realm of the dead. Always in the realm of the dead. And that's, that's the continuous thing with Proverbs. Now, real quick, and we're going to close in a moment, but go to back to Proverbs chapter 2. I want to just show you this. Because this is the end. Now, we come right to the end of these gateway chapters. Chapter 10 begins the sentence Proverbs. So you, we have to understand, he's been comparing this whole time, wisdom which leads to life and foolishness which leads to death. This is the great conclusion of these, the, the first section of the book of Proverbs. And in, in, in chapter 2, for example, we met this foolish woman for the first time. In chapter 2 and verse number 18 and 19, it says, Her house inclines to what? Death. Her paths are unto the dead. And know that go unto her return again. That means once you die and you're in hell, you cannot get out. It's talking about death being of an eternal quality, just as life. Look in chapter 5, please, verse 4. Chapter 5, verse 4. And it talks about here of the strange woman and her lips dropping with sweet oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. That's why we're just talking about her. Her end is bitter and, and it will cut you to pieces. And then verse 5 says what? Her feet go down to what? Death. Her feet go down there to death. Look in chapter 7, verse number 27. In chapter 7, verse 27. Her house is the way to hell. Going down to the chambers of death. And she hath cast down many women. Even strong men have been slain by her. None of us can think, I'm above that. None of us. And then, so we come now to the, to the uh, end of chapter 9. And it says, He knoweth not that the dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of hell. So the fool is perceived and, and is, is, is shown to us in the book of Proverbs as being physically alive, but in the realm of death. And that's New Testament, right? What did Paul say? And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Paul speaks in 1 Timothy, he says, but she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. So people living in pleasure for a season, but spiritually dead in their foolishness and their unbelief. So what's the solution to all this? Come to Jesus Christ. In Him is wisdom. Come to Christ. Eat of His bread. As we looked up at verse 5 again, I finish with this. Come, eat of my bread. Drink of my wine, which I have mingled. I say, come to Jesus Christ. He loves you. Come to Jesus Christ. He wept in the garden for you. Come to Jesus Christ. He sorrowed for you. Come to Jesus. He suffered and died on the cross for you. Come to Jesus. He shed His blood on the cross for you. Come to Jesus. He rose again. He's alive today for you. See His love everywhere. Be wise. Walk in the fear of the Lord and the wisdom of God. Let's pray.